Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. I would love for you to help us spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts so that other innovators like you can find us. And as you know, you're a part of a global community. So we are welcoming 70 plus countries from all around the world that are listening to the podcast. Today, I want to welcome Iraq. Well, Scott Ritzheimer is the founder and CEO of Scale Architects. Scott has helped over 20,000 new businesses and nonprofits with his business partner and started and led a multi-million dollar business through an exceptional and extended growth phase. So talk about 10 years of double-digit growth. That's amazing. All before he turned 35. He's founded Scale Architects to help businesses across the country identify the right growth strategies and find the right guides to help them on their fast track to predictable success. So you are in for a treat today. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. I'm so excited to be here. So we were laughing ahead of time because it, just a couple of weeks ago, and it feels like forever ago, but you were on uh, our podcast. And so we get to turn the mics around. Hopefully I was nice to you. I, I'm not sure what to expect. You know, uh, if I if I threw some zingers, I might expect some, but no, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'll let you know kind of halfway through <laughs> <laughs> if you were nice or not. But no, in all seriousness, I had a blast on your podcast and we will plug that even more at the end to make sure that after this, it'll be in the show notes. Please go over there and check out Scott's podcast as well. So I want to talk about your scale kind of this is this is your whole, I think, platform. It's what you do very, very well. Let's talk a little bit about that. Obviously, you scaled companies. Um, I want to know more about how you did it. I want to know more about what are some principles, success principles that you took away during that time. I have to laugh because you, like you kind of read through the bio and those things are like genuinely true, but it's like, I'm such a Muppet. Like none of those are because I can do anything exceptional at all. Uh, all of those are because I found a model that helped me understand why that doesn't work and why it does work. Mm -hmm. And that really is a foundation. Now, there was a lot of fumbling in the dark before that. There was a lot of success that we didn't understand at all. There was a lot of failure we didn't understand at all. But when I found out about this model, it's called the predictable success model. It's what we use for all of our work now. It was just like a light bulb went off, right? You know, a lot of times when you're, especially entrepreneurs, it feels like you're just walking off the edge of the map every single day. Like we, we, we basically created the industry that we were in. We had no direct one-on-one -on -one competitors. Uh, most folks heard what we did and like, what is that? You know, like it, and so... Uh, it was it was really exciting. It was really fun, but it led to this idea that we were the only one who knew how to do any of what we were doing, right? We're the only ones who knew how to build our organization. And if we couldn't figure it out, no one can. Wow. And that for a couple years feels pretty good. You know, it's like, yeah, we're, we're pioneers. We're doing the thing. And then after a couple of years, that feels really bad, right? Like if because you start bumping into stuff that you just don't know how to fix, you, you start running into challenges that that you can see you sort of see and touch, but you, you, you can't change. And, uh, and so we're growing this organization. We're helping thousands of other uh, businesses and nonprofits a year. And one of the things was happening, just to be real with it, is our top line was going up, but our bottom line was going down every year. Yeah. And 
and you know, that's kind of the easiest way to understand it. But like, why in the world is this happening? It wasn't like we were just like giving stuff away. It wasn't like we really hadn't changed anything fundamentally. And we had gone years of, you know, growth, 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 both of them going up. You know, you want to make more money, you sell more, you keep more and we move on. But we're hitting this challenge inside the business and I'm seeing it happen with some of the organizations that we started early on, right? They were growing up, they were doing well, and then they started hitting some this kind of similar challenge and, and, and couldn't put a finger on why, couldn't put a finger on what was happening, got real into business books at the time, you know, did the Jim Collins, the Patrick Lenshoney, you know, the Gino Wickman, like just, uh, brilliant minds. And we were doing the stuff, but we just couldn't, none of it worked. Like it all helped, but nothing worked. And uh, and so as it, around that time, I was listening to a podcast. Is why I like doing these so much is because genuinely a podcast changed my life. Yeah. And uh, I was listening to a, a guy with a funny Irish accent. I can say that because he's a, a dear friend and, and my colleague now. Uh, but this guy with a funny Irish accent named Les McEwen. Uh, is on a podcast talking about the seven stages that businesses and organizations go through, seven stages of growth. And he gets through the first couple. I'm like, yeah, I remember that. Been there, done that. You know, I've got the, I've got the, the chip to show it. Um, and, uh, and then he gets to this third stage called whitewater. And I was like, oh my goodness. I'm like looking, I'm driving on the road, looking around my truck. Like, does he have a microphone in here somewhere? Like, how does he know? Because he's just articulating with great detail, like how complexity builds up inside the organization and what you used to do to grow doesn't work anymore. And you got people and leaders and they're frustrating. You're babysitting more than you're, you know, benefiting. You're firefighting more than you're finishing. And, and it's just like one thing after the next. And, and, uh, he has a book, so I end up getting a copy of the book. And you know, to show you again how much of a muppet I am, and nerd, uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife's from Norway, so we get to go to Norway every year. And uh, we're out in Norway, and we get this amazing opportunity to go see the Formula One race down in Monaco. Which, for anyone who's listening, who's F one, is like that's the race of all races to go to. Right, it's right on the the coast of the Mediterranean. Beautiful place. And they're a hundred and some odd miles an hour down streets narrower than your driveway. It's just, it's an unbelievable experience. And so I'm on this romantic weekend trip with my wife. We're flying down from Norway to uh, Nice, France. And what is Mr. Romantic doing? I'm listening to this audiobook on life cycle stages, right? <laughs> and and so we're we're literally flying over the French countryside. I remember looking out the window and I will never forget this moment. And and at that time, he's going through the chapters, chapter four, and he's talking about this whitewater stage. And two thoughts hit my mind immediately. It's, oh, my goodness, we're, on, we're in whitewater. Uh, it was that you are here moment. You know those maps where it's like you're looking everywhere. You have no idea where you are. It says you are here. It's the first time I ever felt like I knew where we actually were, wow. not just where we wanted to go as a business. And the second thought that hit me, which is pertinent to the conversation we're having today, I I realized if I could help people out of this whitewater stage, like if I could make a living doing that, I would die a happy man, right? Now, for you know, for anyone who goes and looks at whitewater, it's not a pleasant thing. Like that's a really weird thought to have. It whitewater is is one of the most trying times in any organization's history, especially because it doesn't make sense. But in it, I found you know this is like on the other side of whitewater is predictable success. It's the ability to say, hey, here's where we're going and actually get there. 
And having been in that CEO seat and, and feeling the pain of knowing where you want to go, but not knowing how to get there because you don't know where you are. When I finally saw a model that explained not only the early stuff, not only how to build a business, get it off the ground, but how to grow it and scale it. That's where I really found the tool that that ignited the growth for us across all those different parameters. Wow, that's awesome. And I just, I love listening to that because I feel like a lot of um, people that I talk to go through those stages, but they don't necessarily have the language for it. And there's a lot of different books that have been written. There's a lot of different uh, materials and opportunities to read things that are out there, but not necessarily knowing how to connect into the, here's where I am and here's what I do. Um, That's a pretty powerful moment to step into right there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something we've really been harping on lately as part of a big project we're working on, um, less than myself, but... um, the the challenge that business leaders have today is actually very unique. We have an overabundance of things we should do. There's never been a time where you have had more advice given on what you need to do. You need to do this. You need to be this kind of a leader. You need to, you know, at, at wonderful things from wonderful people. But very, very, very few of those resources, hardly any, talk about what you need to do next. Right. So how do you know if you need to you know, pick up a book by Patrick Lencioni or a book by Grant Cardone or, you know, listen to a podcast episode on innovation? Like, how do you know what thing to do? And that predictable success model, knowing the stage you're in, just shines a spotlight on the you know, one, two, three things that you absolutely have to do. And everything else flows from there. Wow, that's so cool. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about this article that you wrote. You actually wrote kind of like a series, which I would encourage people to check out. And this is on your on your website. You talk a little bit about kind of focusing on institutionalizing innovation. And what stood out to me was the question you asked, which is like, is your organization innovative or is it just you? I would love for us to just pull some of those principles forward and just talk about those a little bit, because I feel like this is the tension, right, that a lot of people sit in, which is um, they're trying to infuse innovation to their organization. Maybe they're just trying to get an idea off the ground. But regardless, how do you start to institutionalize innovation and think about it more broadly? Yeah, and it's 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 a great question. I actually asked this question of you because uh, one of us will, will figure it out. But no, so the answer changes a lot based on what stage you're in, right? So, and I love this again. Total. This is not a plug for my show. This is a plug for Natalie's content on my show because it's unreal, right? You want to know how to apply innovation in these different stages. She, she. I mean, you, you did a marvelous job on that. Not a whole lot I can add there, but what I can do is just kind of repeat. When you're in that first stage, we call it early struggle. Uh, innovation is uh, you innovate for viability, yeah. right? It's, it's, we've got to get this thing off the ground. And how big organizations, do that, how small organizations do this, very different. Listen to the show; you'll, you'll, you explain it better than I will. But you're innovating for viability, right? You're, and so it's not really about all the stuff we're going to talk about in institutionalizing innovation because there's nothing to institutionalize it into. Your, your, your business, your idea doesn't exist yet. And so it's just about rapidly prototyping, getting out in the real world, getting real client feedback, and uh, and just get find, what we call is finding your profitable, sustainable market. Innovation actually isn't all that great or interesting in the first stage. Now, it's highly necessary, but it is not an end of itself. Right. And that's a trap that a lot of people get into is they hear innovation, it has to be innovative. Well, there's lots of businesses that are starting right now that are not innovative at all. 
That's right. And they're doing exceptionally well. Now, that doesn't mean that there are that you shouldn't be innovative, but you should only be as innovative as you need to be to find a profitable, sustainable market. That That's is so spot on. <laughs> That's spot on. Say more. I mean, I, I think this is important for people to hear that it's not innovation for the sake of innovation. It's innovation for viability. That's a different level of thought than just let's do something unique, different for the sake of it. That's not why you innovate, right? Innovation People innovate for survival. That's part of the reason why innovation is important. Yeah. I mean, it's the you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? And so, yeah, when you're in that early stage, uh, you have to recognize a proof of this. There are roofing companies that are starting every single year, and many of them do quite well. In fact, more roofing companies survive than tech companies. <laughs> so, and if you say, which one's more innovative, I'll let the reader decide. Uh, so, it, it, innovation is not this touchstone. Everything becomes magical. In some industries, it's absolutely essential. Good luck starting a brand new AI company without innovation right now. Like, it's not going to happen. So I'm not trying to down innovation at all. I'm just saying that it is not the goal. Mm -hmm. It's a tool in the early stage. And, and we typically do that by being innovative, right? In, in the early stage, it's not necessarily about building innovation. It's not necessarily about a lot of the steps we're going to talk about in a little bit here. It's just about being innovative and being ruthless in your pursuit of, again, super boring phrase, very important concept, a profitable, sustainable market. Yeah. Something I talk about all the time that you spend a little bit of time on in your article is culture, right? And this plays such a huge part in innovation. It can actually stifle innovation. It can kill innovation and it can truly snuff it out. Let's just take a moment and touch on culture in terms of how how do you view that being a extension of, of how to innovate? Yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating thing because again, I, I sound like a broken record here. I apologize all the time for this, but it's just the truth. It depends on the stage, right? So what happens early on by being innovative, right? By just by doing it, by modeling it, especially as a founder or an owner, uh, then the culture just kind of emanates from you. It's caught more than it is taught. And so what you'll find is that most small organizations that need innovation to survive, right? The, the new AI company will, will typically be very innovative at the beginning. It's not actually because the, the organization is innovative. It's usually because there are enough key players that are innovative to get the whole thing moving forward. So it, it looks like we have a culture of innovation, but what we really have is a few really innovative people. This is Steve Jobs 1.0, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so what happens, you know, the organization is relatively small and that's about all you need, quite honestly. Uh, and, uh, but as it gets bigger, as you start trying to scale your ability to innovate, that's where you can't do it alone anymore. You and your right-hand man or woman can't do it, uh, the two of you anymore. And so it's at that point, if you want to get to and stay in predictable success, right? Uh, if you want to build an organization that can not only scale, but can scale for a long time, then innovation has to move from being a trait of the founder to the DNA of the organization. And you can't do that by just saying, go be innovative. Right. You, you can't do it by by having a process for innovation, although that's very important. You actually have to have a culture where innovation is celebrated at every level in the organization. It's not just the super innovative founder. In fact, the super innovative founder oftentimes has to get out of the way. Mm 
Mm-hmm. It's not just the super innovative skunk works department. That department is usually a crutch that prevents the rest of the organization from being able to innovate. And so the the big thing I would really want to draw out on the culture of innovation is it's not the mechanics first, right? It's the actual DNA of the people that you're hiring, how you're training them, how you're celebrating them and uh, and, and enabling that at all levels throughout the organization. Well, that flows nicely into kind of this next thought you had, which was allocating resources to implement new. And then you also said potentially bad ideas, right? So new ideas, bad ideas. We need to put resources in place to um, to allow for that. And so this, to me, it doubles down and it says, I'm, as a company, placing a stake on innovation. I'm carving out a line item in my budget to ensure that we fund it. Um I always say fund what matters and fund it well, right? So like the idea that it's not just a pipe dream, it's not just a thought, it's not a, a buzzword we kick around when we're doing a uh, all hands meeting, right? But it's more than that. It's something that is actually line item and pulled out to say, this is something we are going to invest in, yeah. think about and fund. Absolutely. I mean, great example of this in the corporate world, well, well documented at this point is 3M, right? They they dedicated a, a time that everyone can do. Now, here's the really cool thing about 3M that a lot of people miss. So again, the, I, I forget you'd know better than I do. The, there was a percentage of time that every employee was allowed to work on whatever project that they want, so long as they thought it would be helpful for users and helpful for the business. Didn't have to work. Uh, there wasn't a success thing associated with it, except that what 3M did that was absolutely brilliant was that they said uh, they set a percentage of their revenue every year that had to come from sales from uh, items that were less than I think three or five years old, something along those lines. And and what that does, it, because a lot of people have adopted the let's just go t- spend time thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they haven't tied that all the way through. How do we get that thing to market? Yeah. It's not about giving people time to come up with ideas. It's about allocating resources to bring those ideas to market, right? What do we talk about in the very first stage is about finding a profitable, sustainable market. You never graduate from that. It it just, it's always there. So any new thing you create, any new department you launch, any new location that you start, any new, you know, software that you release, it always starts in that early struggle period, which means we've got to get it to a profitable, sustainable market. So you can't just adopt the think tank sessions. (laughs) You have to find a way of getting that all the way through to implementation. Now, I want to pause on this because there's a really, really really important caveat, not even caveat, uh, just arc to this whole thing. So if we actually zoom all the way up to, to you know, 100,000 feet, if you will, what happens when we get out of that whitewater period I talked about, it's just really confusing and tough and we can't scale. We don't know why. The way you get out of that is by, is by putting in controls, creating systematization and process and actually reducing unnecessary risk. And, and so that's what creates predictable success because there's this beautiful marriage of, uh, of risk mitigation and risk taking, of systematization and innovation, of creativity and consistency. Mm-hmm. And it's that tension that creates predictable success. And focusing on innovation, the reason why it's so important, right? The reason, reason why it's not just a cool thing that's a buzzword the reason why that it keeps you in predictable success like very few other things is because of this point. It, in innovation, if you're really going to embrace it, you have to embrace failure. 
you have to embrace the process, right, of creativity. You have to accept that you don't have it all figured out. And in doing so, it, it creates a guardrail for your organization to prevent it from following into, which is a really big deal, the first decline stage, which is called treadmill. And the reason why organizations, great organizations, name any big organization, this is the threat that's constantly in front of them, is that they will lose their way by focusing on what they do, not why they did it. That's so good. Well, that, I mean, that right there, I think brings us to kind of that that next piece that you talk about, which is drive strategy that demands innovation action, right? So like, let's, let's back up a little bit and talk about this idea that you kind of... In- just introduced to us of putting the right guardrails in place, embracing failure, being able to kind of understand the bigger picture of what you're trying to produce, what you're trying to create. I think that where a lot of organizations struggle is is in that piece, right? You go from rapid growth to a need to automate, a need to put in processes and procedures, a need to document. And we used to have this joke all the time um, when we were in a high growth organization where they would say, well, we don't document things because they're so, you know, they, they grow old so fast, but that was kind of just an excuse, right? Not to document things. And so there has to be this balance. It's like you said, that tension between wanting to document things, wanting to ensure that we're following uh, proper uh, paths of success and automating the, the things that need to be automated. And then also having this space, right? Where you can innovate and bring things to market quickly. The real irony of predictable success is it is inherently unpredictable, right? Predictable success staying there is kind of like, have you ever seen a stock market ticket, how it, a ticker, how it, like it moves in a general direction, but one day it's up, one day it's down, right? It's called a random walk. And, uh, and, and maintaining predictable success is a little bit like that. It's not a static position. It's not up and to the right. It's not, we always do it this way. And so what you'll find is that most truth in, the, in predictable success, it lands in cycles. There are times when we put just an, an almost outdo uh, focus on let's just let's let's create something, right? Let, let's break a few things. Let's see what happens. And what happens is the organization actually falls into whitewater a little bit. We're going to release a big new product. We're going to we're going to take a big risk. And uh, and what happens is if, if we let the people who like that, right, the visionary types, they're ha- they're comfortable there. If we let them stay in that place, you run the risk of the thing just caving in on itself, right? That's the the idea of oh, we're undocumented because it's going to change. That that's you know a certain group inside the organization actually having their way. There are people who are just wired to think that way. There's another group of people who are wired to think the opposite way. Is like if you if it's not worth writing down, it's not worth doing. And so what has to happen is there have to be these series of handoffs from the innovators to the doers to yeah. the the systematizers, right? And and when we can follow that pattern through uh, and we do them in the right order and we cycle again whenever it happens, that's where you create the right thing. It's not that it's always one thing. You don't always document the new thing. And you go and do the new thing. You get someone else to prove that it actually works. Yeah. Then you document it before you move on to doing the new thing again, right? And so it's getting that cycle down and then rinse and repeat and doing it again and again. Where we lose our way is we get stuck in one of those modes thinking it's the best. Yeah, and that's and that's where you have the idea of like tribal knowledge, right? Where it's in someone's head and if the tribe leader leaves, they leave with that knowledge. So it does bridge that gap 
between what you're trying to accomplish and testing it all the way through, make sure it's, it's successful, but then turning around and saying, how can we predict that success again? Well, let's let's take a look back at what we did last time. What did we learn? Where did we make mistakes? Where did we, where were we successful? Let's understand that holistically. Yeah. Um, I can't believe it. Our time has gone really fast. What final thoughts would you have for our listeners today? Yeah. So a final thing, I say this all the time uh, is you, you've got to like when it comes to innovation, when it comes to any challenge that you're facing right now as an organization, the very first thing you can do and should do to solve it is to find out where your organization is right now. Business, nonprofit, doesn't matter, any group of two or more. You can find out at scalearchitects.com and just check out. There's a life cycle quiz there. And then based on the result, that's when you know, hey, is this, yes, we're feeling this. Yes, it's a problem. Is it what we need to focus on right now? The most important question in business is when. When do we need to address this issue? And when you can get that right consistently over time, predictable success is absolutely sure to follow. I, I love that. Scott, where can people follow you personally as well? Yeah. So uh, this question uh, should be a lot easier than it is. But unfortunately, I'm a junior, which means that if you look up Scott Ritzheimer, you're going to have a couple of different options here. It's a unique name, but it's not unique enough. Uh, and so uh, I'm the I'm the better looking Scott Ritzheimer. We'll say that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but on all the socials, if you look up Scale Architects, it's a great way of finding us. If you look up Scott Ritzheimer on there, you'll see uh, uh, you'll see my stuff on there as well. You'll see my dad, give him a shout out, say hi, Scott. Um, but, uh, but you can find me on any of those. And then again, the Scale Architects website is just chock full of resources for, uh, for founders and leaders wanting to scale. I love that. And then also check out Scott's podcast where you can find me. And as, as I told you, we will drop that in the show notes as well so that you can pop over there and listen to our episode. Thanks so much for your time today, Scott. This is awesome. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thanks. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership and visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Hey, my new book is out, Set It on Fire, The Art of Innovation. Click on the link to learn more. And don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something.